Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. What is our mission, church? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I hope we are more vigorous in our missioning than we are in our stating of the mission. So let me ask you this. What takes priority in our work as a church? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Have you been living into your mission lately? Or has it been a little further down on the checklist. Do our lives and our choices reflect our commitment all the time and all we say and do in the moments where we rear back or in the moments that we're in prayer? This four-week series we're gonna begin today is called Having Words with Jesus. Because sometimes we need to have words with Jesus. Jesus certainly seems to want to have words with us, amen? So we're gonna work through four difficult passages in our third gospel account. These four passages are not comfortable to read, They're not comfortable to hear. They're not comfortable to consider. That seems to be the point. If we'd been standing with Jesus in the moments that these things occurred, and Jesus said some of the things he did, we might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second there, Rabbi. Are you serious? Come again. Many people did in Jesus' day. Many people do in our own day. Did you really mean that? We can certainly twist this around, make it a little more comfortable. Many who followed him turned away from following them to the life he offered because they were more comfortable with the life they had prior. Jesus was a little too much. He wanted too much. He went a little too far. He was so out there in his preaching and in his living, people couldn't follow him anymore. They couldn't follow him because they were following something and someone else. They maybe just didn't realize it until Jesus lifted up what it meant to follow, and suddenly their allegiance to other things spoke louder. But Jesus made it clear, you can't follow him unless you give all the rest up and engage 100% into this disciple-making, world-transforming, kingdom-building way of living and breathing every moment. I wanted to give you only one little bit of context before today's reading. And that is just simply where it is in the story in the gospel account. See, in chapter 14, it starts with Jesus heading to the house of a leader of a Pharisee on the Sabbath. We already know things are bound for trouble. When it involves a leader of a Pharisee and Sabbath, Jesus is going to do something. Well, on the way to the meal, he healed someone. Can you believe it? And then he showed up to the house, and then he criticized everyone at the table because they were playing musical chairs of honor. And then he criticized the host. You invite all the people who can repay you. You should be inviting those who can't, he says. And I'm presuming they ate, which I'm sure was a very enjoyable time for all. And then as they walked away, Jesus stopped and turned to his disciples. And here we have this passage. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus Turning to them, he said, Whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, 
and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If one of you wanted to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost to determine whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation but couldn't finish the tower, all who see it will begin to belittle you. They will say, here's the person who began construction and couldn't complete it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether his 10,000 soldiers could go up against the 20,000 coming against him? And if he didn't think he could win, he would send a representative to discuss terms of peace while his enemy was still a long way off. In the same way, none of you who are unwilling to give up all of your possessions can be my disciples. The word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Jesus is the worst politician ever. He's the herald of the kingdom of God. He's the embodied kingdom of God. He is the prototype human being. He's all that Israel was always meant to be. He's the teacher and leader of the disciples who have been called. And this is how he promotes the calling. The honesty is kind of nice, isn't it? In election season, wouldn't it be nice? We had some just some honesty about it. Can you imagine if we were hearing these type things, what Jesus is saying in campaigns today? But Jesus isn't trying to run for office. Jesus is not interested in your vote. Jesus is more like an explorer headed out into the uncharted wilderness, heading out facing the dangers of no matter what might come. He's addressing those who claim they want to follow. Do you know what this journey will demand of you? Do you know the risks? Have you counted the cost? Once we go out there and we do what we've set out to do, we might not make it back. We're never going to be the same. You have to leave everything behind to truly go forward. Are you prepared? Are you really ready? Are you in or are you out? In this context, Jesus' words make more sense. I mean, hasn't Jesus been telling us the whole time, love your neighbor? Foster connection with the poor and the vulnerable. Love, 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 love. So what gives Jesus hate, hate, hate? What is this journey we're on exactly? What are we doing? Being a disciple is not a one-time decision. Kingdom building and world transformation are not things that just happen because we said yes at some point in our past. Everything and everyone that's following Jesus has said yes. Everything that's along the way, all the people beside him, they were following him, and they had risked things already to be with him that day when he turned and addressed them. Not too long before that, Jesus had criticized King Herod, calling him a fox, and in this passage, he's criticizing the renovation of the temple. And he also proclaims that God has left the temple altogether. Can you imagine? That gets you in trouble. So what is Jesus trying to say to them, those who have already risked quite a bit? What's Jesus saying to us today, 2,000 years later? 
Like those who followed Jesus, we've taken a risk to be here this morning. You've chosen to be here. By showing up, you're proclaiming a life of following Jesus Christ. There are expectations of you. We have them of each other. Other people who don't even know you or Christ, if they know that you are here this morning, they have expectations of you as well. Some good, some bad. Amen? Granted, this risk that we take is minuscule compared to many of our siblings in Christ around the world who will be gathering all day today at risk of being arrested or beaten or imprisoned or killed. And if we're honest, we sometimes, we choose not to come here because, well, we were up too late last night. We wanted to watch Ohio State win, right? But no one. Or maybe we just have too much going on this afternoon that we need to stay home and prepare. Or maybe the... The golf course just looks a little too good this morning. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Maybe you just don't want to come and listen to the kooky pastor another morning. We give up being here for far smaller reasons. People in some areas of the world, they risk it all. And they do it to honor God and offer gratitude. I wonder how many of them have been urged by their parents, by their spouses, by their children, can you just stay home? It's too much. We need you. We need you to be safe. Don't risk it. And in that context, Jesus' words have a new meaning as well. Hating is not some visceral negative reaction. It certainly can involve that for us today as we often use that word. But in my studies, hating is the complete severing of connection and relationship. So it can look like despise or it can look like disregard, indifferent. We're no longer connected emotionally. You were like a stranger. My family's desire for me to follow in the way of safety and comfort, if I'm in a dangerous place, comes second to my willingness to follow Jesus. I'm following even when it's risky. Jesus understands that we are emotional beings and sometimes we struggle with those emotions. Jesus knows this. That's why I love the two candles for Jesus' divinity and humanity. And I often praise God for the divinity that we have the presence of Christ with us and among us. But I also praise God for the humanity to know that he sweat blood and stress and he wept and he got angry and he knows our emotions. And so in those moments, he understands. We're so swayed by emotion. Is it just me? I could probably say some things, get you riled up, couldn't I? How many of our politicians utilize emotion to get you to follow them, to do what they want you to do, to do what they want you to do? Aren't you tired of those people running things you might hear? Don't you deserve more, you might hear. You think, yeah, yeah, tell me what to do. How many family members plead to our emotions? How many have heard from a family member, how can you do this to me? Is this how you treat your family? Ooh, man, none of us like that. How many Christians have we heard the same kind of pleas from in an emotional plea for us to follow them? How many preachers use our penchant for emotional response to sway us into action we haven't really considered? I mean, there are churches growing quickly because they have the right lighting, the right music, the right dynamic speaker, and they get you all worked up, and they say, here, make this decision, and oh, yeah, in your emotion, you make that decision, and then you go home, and it looks a little different than in that moment. But you go back the next week because you want them to rally up again and get you all emotional, and they will. But is that transforming the world? 
We committed to building a tower and engaging in spiritual warfare in these moments of emotion, but then we leave the church service and it goes back to a little bit of normal. Our emotions are a part of us and there is nothing wrong with our emotions or being emotionally invested in our commitment to Christ, but it has to be more than that. We must think of this calling through. We must count the cost because we can make terrible decisions in an emotional moment that look terrible, but some will look good and they're not. We're called to something bigger and deeper than we might even realize. Our mission is to make disciples, followers of Jesus Christ who say yes every single day. They're on the lifelong journey toward perfection knowing we're not there yet, but that's where we're headed and we're committing our lives to getting there. Disciples say yes at one time and we continue to say this yes, not in emotion purely, but because we know exactly where we're headed. There is nothing emotionally pleasing about picking up a cross, I can assure you, but we do it anyway. One scholar suggests we aren't called to toss our relationships with family away in some sort of hatred. We're just no longer to engage in those relationships in the way that we have come to define them, to understand love and support as we have been taught or we've come to define for ourselves. We are imperfect human beings, anybody with me? We are sinful by nature. Anybody with me? So can we love our families right? When we cut the connection with families in this way, the scholar says we're giving up the old way of connecting with them and we're letting Jesus define what it looks like from now on. And sometimes we tell them no. Instead, we're committing to loving them the way Jesus teaches us. And we may have to sit with that idea for a while. I have been. But I like it better, right? instead of severing connections, hating my family. God asked me to make a certain kind of commitment on my wedding day. When I held my children, I felt a certain kind of commitment. I struggle thinking that this means you're, I'm to hate and put that aside. I think it's to redefine, to transform. Because we're to make disciples for the transformation of the world. And Jesus does transform our worlds, friends. This includes our relationships. And while our emotions are certainly involved in the transformation, we must truly consider and count the cost in every aspect of our lives at all times. Are we prepared to let go of what we've been committed to for the sake of following Jesus Christ? If so, say yes. Are we prepared to let go and hate everything in our lives for the sake of our mission of disciple-making world-transforming, kingdom-building life following Christ? If so, say yes. Now you're thinking about it. I don't know. You could think about it some more, and before you give a second yes, an affirming yes, count the cost. Do you know the risks? If you cannot think of any real costs or risks, then ask yourself, do I truly understand what's being if the commitment seems easy, you've probably missed something. Living into our calling, it means it starts with us. Trying to change others is futile. That's not my job, I'm not gifted to do that. The Holy Spirit will change other people. If I commit to changing myself and modeling that and witnessing to that all that Christ has done for me and encouraging others to engage as well. As United Methodists, we commit to this work as the church 
and our banners, I love our banners, through prayers, through presence, through gifts, through service, and through witness. And if you've been baptized into the church, you've committed to that. And next week, we're going to transfer some members in who are going to recommit to that as we do as well. So let me ask you, are you praying for your church? And I don't mean praying for the church to look like you want it to look. Are you praying for your church that we are discerning the direction of the Spirit together in unity, one in ministry and mission to the world? Are you submitting yourself to whatever that might mean? Are you present? You are here this morning. Well done. Are you committed to being here on Sunday mornings? and committed to being here on the other days of the week when we gather together for studies or for fellowship or when we do acts of service? Are you committed to taking your presence as a group beyond these walls to the hurting world out there who are just as worthy of being disciples as we've ever been? Are you giving? Tithe means 10%. Not one, not nine, and not 20. That's how we do 20 in my house. Tithe is 10%. Are you financially committed to the work of this church and its ministries? Are you in service? Not worship service. Are you offering your talents to Jesus Christ? Are you thinking creatively about how you might use your talents? Are you talking to other people about the talents you have and thinking maybe if there's a few of us, we could put a group together the right way and really accomplish something meaningful for the sake of making disciples and transforming of the world for Jesus Christ? Are you witnessing? You were hoping I didn't get to this one. When's the last time you told someone what Jesus Christ has done for you? Not what you think Jesus Christ will do for them if they just follow the right rules, no. You just tell about what Jesus Christ has done for you. When's the last time you told someone what your church means to you? why you come here in the morning. When's the last time you invited someone to church? You know, the average invitation is extended once every 30 years. Um, That's not a joke. That's not a joke. That's the statistic. When did you last invite someone to follow Jesus Christ alongside of you? Count the cost. Let's take time today and this week as we have communion to count the cost of committing to being a disciple of Jesus Christ and disciple makers. Let us carefully calculate what it will require of us to follow. And if you're struggling with this, which I hope you are, because that means you're listening, then go back to the passage and read it again and again and talk to other people and hear what they have to say about it. And through that process, it will give birth to new life in you. Struggle with it. Have words with Jesus in prayer and with one another. Let it work on you and help you in your calling and then connect with your siblings that we might draw each other closer together for the mission and closer together in Christ as missionaries. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com. 